your company should be taking. That's the theme for today's podcast with myself, Chris Don, uh, interviewing Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray. Um, as all our listeners will probably be aware, uh, today is one year on from the UK's vote in a referendum uh, to leave the EU in the, uh, in the uh, notorious term Brexit now, uh, or, or notorious from which side of the, 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 the cap you're, you're sitting, I suppose. Uh, but uh, Darren, um, you, you've uh, put together these five steps that companies uh, could be taking in, yep. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a new framework. Um, so what, what's involved in this? Well, I guess before we talk about what's involved is why bother with this? Mm. Um, and really, the, this framework, many organisations will, will be thinking about or considering what their, um, you know, what their, um, what the advantages are, what the risks are, and what they're actually facing as part of Brexit. So, putting this framework together is just to provide a, a common lexicon, a way of thinking about this and addressing this and uh, dealing with it as a team, and also a structured way of documenting. Uh, what the risks are you're facing and what the opportunities are. And we'll actually, uh, there'll be a um, link in the, um, in the show notes and also a link on the, on the blog post uh, to be able to access a, uh, a spreadsheet uh, which will serve as a way and means of uh, documenting this. Many organisations will have other means and mechanisms that they'll want to be using, but if you don't have those, then this spreadsheet will actually um, okay. serve as a good, uh, you know, a good template or a way of actually taking you forward, and it, you know, it'll uh, be an advantage uh, than start from scratch. Okay, it's good to know. So, uh, what inspired you to put this uh, this framework together? I guess Chris, talk to, you know, I'm talking to a lot of. Um, um, you know, CIOs, CEOs, you know, members of the C-suite and, and boards of, uh, of lots of companies. And there's a lot of um, similar questions that are being asked or posed or, um, you know, and just concern about what Brexit means and, you know, in some respects, um, you know, a desire for in, in, you know, increased certainty around Brexit. And, you know, we, we talked before about, in one of the podcasts before, about Brexit, and we've um, done blog posts before about Brexit continuity yeah, planning. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that, uh, you know, one year on, um, it's now time for, you know, uh, to revisit some of that and actually uh, put together this framework uh, and make that available for people so they can start thinking about it. Well, I suppose, I mean, one thing you, you refer to quite a lot, and we, we, we've been talking about in a lot of these podcasts, uh, is getting these sort of things down on paper so you can you can measure and, and, and evidence progress. Is, is that sort of part of your, who you're thinking behind it? Yeah, it is, and it's also about um, having something written down that enables you to move forward doesn't mean that it's set in stone when it's written down. And some people get, you know, I have met uh, people in the past who, um, you know, have uh, hesitated in actually committing it to paper or committing it to a spreadsheet or to a system, um, you know, for fear of it's actually going to change. Mm. This stuff is okay. We know that a lot of this stuff is going to change, and we know that you know the um, the UK government and uh, the European Union have only just started negotiating. So we know this is going to change. We know it's flexible. And that you know that's very much something that we need to uh, take into account. We have need to be uh, you know more forgiving of ourselves and of our teams in yeah. not being able to understand all of uh, Brexit at this time. And that's yeah. part of the process. We need to you know we need to uh, create a little bit more certainty about what we would do if certain scenarios occurred, um, but also measure the reality of those scenarios occurring too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course, and I suppose that there's going to be a lot of nuance involved in you know trying to understand all, all, all the, the challenges and, and problems involved. So, I guess devil's advocate would say, I mean, it's such a volatile 
sort of changing picture out there? Is it is it possible to, you know, I think you've kind of addressed that what you just said before about being forgiving, but yeah. you know, a question of you know might be you know how how can how can we put together a sort of a five step framework when it's such a huge subject? Well, the framework itself. Um, uh, really gives you a way and means of thinking about uh, what the uh, what the risks are, and in capturing the risks, uh, we're saying that some of them are going to be conditional, um, some of them are not going to happen at all, and you know spend the appropriate amount of time um, thinking about those and identifying those. Don't go down to the real minutiae of detail on uh, on risks that you think are you know, have a very low likelihood of happening and a very low impact on the organisation should they happen. You know, we're really looking to capture the big ones, understand what we're going to do um, for the big ones and then um, start working that through. Well, let's kick off from the the first one, um, which you've very kindly written down for me. uh, (laughs) But uh, what are you protecting against? Uh, What what, what are the risks? Yeah, um, so understanding the Brexit isn't a simple issue. We've already, uh, I guess, identified that. Um, there's going to be um, challenges to the businesses we can't see right now, but some of them we might be able to sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we might have an idea of if it goes this way, or if um, you know the government manages to negotiate this, we're going to have to do this, or if they don't get this, we're going to do uh, do sure. this. Um, now, different businesses are going to have different challenges. It's not. I'm not trying um, in this podcast or in the blog post that we put around this to try and identify the the specific, specifics for any one individual business. So we're going to use some general um, general ones as examples here. Um, you know, more than happy to talk about pe- to people about specifics. Um, you know, should they ask a question? But I'm going to try and keep them fairly general um, uh, and leave it to uh, you know the listeners to think about what the the real challenges are for their businesses. So. Yeah. Some of the general ones that, um, that I identified for, you know, what, what are the risks? Um, um, just r- I'll run through a couple of them. Um, what would the impact to your business be um, if you didn't have the same access to staff from EU countries? You know, a number of organisations employ people from different parts of Europe at the moment. For some, it's a part of their uh, target operating model. Um, so what would the impact be? How would you, might, you know, and start to think about how you might mitigate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what would happen if you couldn't sell your organisation's product or services to the EU without additional tariffs? Or perhaps it wouldn't be possible at all. Um, you know, some of the for financial services clients, um, um, you know, we talk about uh, passporting and whether uh, financial services passporting is actually going to um, you know, still be allowed yep. um, uh, post Brexit. So, what would happen in those kind of circumstances? And what what would happen if any raw materials or inputs are required by your business? Uh, that come from the EU uh, were more expensive during the, due to tariffs mm. and things like that. What about and you know what about if they took longer to import because um, they uh, they had to go through um, you know an import process that, uh, that that today just doesn't exist. And uh, the final one, uh, general one that I've identified is what happens if your EU based vendors charge more because of tariffs. So how do you get these down on paper? Do you put do you ascribe a, a, a score? Uh, to, to, to each risk or sort of one out of ten something like that, is that, is that the it's thing? very good that you should ask that no, it's no. almost um, you know almost as if I gave you time to read the, uh, to read the uh, uh, read the notes as usual you didn't no no, no. <laughs> to keep you, in, you know, on, on the edge of your seat for this podcast and yeah. discovering it almost like the audience <laughs> <do>. <laughs> well, hopefully not as terrified as me but hopefully not <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, but you're exactly right. You need to score and prioritise. So, um, 
there's a, a number of factors that we suggest you score, and uh, I mentioned the uh, spreadsheet earlier on. You know, please um, do look at the notes, see how you can download that. Uh, but there's um, the three scores that I suggest uh, that you uh, that you capture: um, the complexity of the mitigation. You know, so how uh, how complex is it to mitigate this uh, this risk? The uh, current likelihood of it occurring. So, um, you know, where you are at this point in time, you know, do you think it's definitely going to happen? So it's a high. Um, do you think it's very unlikely it's going to happen, in which case it's a low? Um, and the impact of the, on the business, should it happen? Um, you know, if it's um, something that's a fundamental change or challenge to your business or your or your operating model, um, then obviously you're going to score that um, yeah. higher. Yeah. So, okay, so you, you've got that down on paper, and then you'll know, you'll, you'll have some idea that really, your organisation's either underprepared or just, just about right or, or could do better. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll have an idea of which, um, you know, from that. And this shouldn't just be a, um, you know, one individual within the organisation doing this. You know, I thoroughly recommend that this be a, uh, you know, cross-discipline um, mm. uh, activity. It's an ideal opportunity that we talk about a lot uh, Chris, about uh, the role of um, the Chief Information Officer, the CIO. Um, this is an ideal opportunity for you know the CIO to be working with uh, their colleagues in other parts of the business. Yeah. Well, subheads within the business, I suppose, if you're in sort of different verticals and do yeah, you know, yeah. for example, if you're an insurance company, if you've got an aviation department, marine department, uh, or uh, you know uh, a liability and casualty and property department, sort of getting all those people. Aligned with the business, is that sort of thing? The larger the organisation, the more likely uh, that it is you're going to need, or the, the larger the number of people you're going to need to uh, be considering some of this, because you're right, there's going to be specialties and nuances um, in each of those areas. Um, but you know, keep it appropriate to the size of your business. You want to, um, you know, certainly in the first pass, you want it to be a, um, you know, get used to uh, understanding and uh, thinking about the risks uh, associated. Don't get too tied up in, in the detail in your first pass. This is a very iterative, should be a very iterative uh, process. This is, well, this is obviously, I mean, we talked about different uh, silos or different departments, I would say. Um, so this is, of course, a, is very much an enterprise-wide business risk, isn't it? So mm. I guess it needs that sort of enterprise-wide approach. It does, yeah. I mean, and uh, the organisations who are doing uh, this well, uh, at the moment, um, uh, you know, it's a it's a completely uh, cross discipline mm. um, uh, uh, project, and uh, with uh, with board sponsorship. Um, so the board sure. are asking, uh, you know, asking the right questions. What's our approach? Um, our, where are our, our, our exposures, and what we're we doing to mitigate those exposures and those risks? Okay, well that's that brings me to the next thing. Then, very uh, not a good segue. We talked about scoring and prioritising. So. What's involved in the mitigation planning? Yeah, uh, mitigation planning, you look at each individual risk um, and you think about uh, what steps, uh, what step or steps you can take to mitigate uh, the exposure that you've got. So can you put a project in place um, or a solution in place that, um, that reduces your exposure, you know, you know, in some extreme cases, you know, do you need to open uh, an office in, um, you know, in, you know, in continental Europe to actually mitigate uh, this or to ensure you've still got access to the markets uh, that you need access to, for example. It's quite possible that there is more than one um, mitigation um, task or step to, um, for each action. Don't be afraid of that. That's, um, you know, that's okay. 
Is, um, is IT likely to play a major part in the, in the mitigation steps that Trump should take? Oh, absolutely, it should be. I mean, um, the very least, um, IT is going to be um, assisting with the change the change projects and programs that are going to be taking place. I mean, I used the example there of you know setting, potentially setting up a new office or something like that. IT would obviously be working very closely with uh, facilities and other parts of the business um, to help ensure that that um, that any new office was set up uh, appropriately um, and making sure all the comms are in place and all those kind of uh, you know good things, normal run of the mill stuff. But it's not just going to be. Um, the operational side of actually getting uh, projects done. It's also going to be about CIO taking that role, taking that lead position where appropriate and helping uh, the business understand um, the, the risks and helping with, uh, with understanding the mitigation. Okay, so some organisations would have been spotting opportunities probably from the early stages of Brexit. Can, how, how, how easy is that to do or how difficult is that to do? It depends on the organisation of course but you know, a, 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 a favourite phrase of mine is that um, you know, op- opportunities are actually a natural part of the life cycle of change. And businesses should, shouldn't be afraid of those and they should incorporate and encourage and empower their staff to, um, to identify those opportunities and to report those opportunities back. So helping organisations recognise that there's going to be opportunities in, in, in this disruption. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very much a key part of um, you know, the, the framework that we're, uh, that we're putting forward here. So capture the opportunities, you know, log them. If you've got a system where those sorts of things should be logged, then obviously log them in there. If not, the spreadsheet, again, uh, provides a simple framework that would be you know, more than suitable for you know, a small, medium-sized um, company if appropriate. Would a, would a sort of a CRM system be as appropriate or, or, or useful or more? More useful in, in, in it might be in the yeah. example of Brexit, maybe yeah, it, it certainly might be. Um, you know, um, many organisations will use um, CRM type systems to um, spot and identify um, opportunities, whether they're associated with a particular client, whether it's more broadly. Um, certainly, a CRM system might be used uh, for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the fifth step um, is obviously monitor, review, and repeat. So what's involved in in that process? Well, this is about creating a. a, a a monitoring and review cycle. Um, it's really important to recognise that Brexit isn't. Uh, it's a collection of projects, but it's not a project in its own right. Um, at this point in time, we don't understand enough about what Brexit is. So we're going to have to, iter- you know, go round the loop iteratively and understand what the changes are as each, you know, point is negotiated out and finalised by the by the government. And we won't have a final answer for, you know, another year at least and I guess it might even be longer than that. Um, I'm beginning to suspect I was thinking the other day that everyone's been talking about whether it's going to be a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit and I mean, it seems increasingly like to me it's, it's seeming to be going in the direction of a flexible Brexit. A squidgy Brexit. <laughs> squidgy or flexible. Is yeah. that, what, what, do you, what do you think what do you say to that? I, I think that I... Not, not, not without, I, any, without any political or yeah, whatever your politics lies or whatever. No absolutely. I, look I think I think the extremes of hard and soft Brexit are, um, you know, a soft Brexit is, un- is unlikely to satisfy those who voted for, um, you know, for, uh, uh, for leave, uh, you know, a very yeah. extreme uh, a soft Brexit. So, you know, leaving everything in place, um, you know, barring the, um, the ability for the UK to create its own legislation. Mm, uh, yeah. For example, um, you know, I would consider that to be um, you know, right to the extreme of the soft, uh, the soft 
uh, Brexit. That's unlikely to satisfy the majority of people who voted for Leave. Um, the extreme Brexit, though, um, you know, um, snipers on the uh, on the cliffs of Dover and things like that, you know, that's not going to be good for, you know, that's not going to be good for Britain either. Um, you know, while some people perhaps voted for that meant for that when they uh, voted Leave, um, you know, that's really not uh, what it's going to be. So, the the reality was always going to be that it was going to be somewhere. Um, in but it was also bi- it's also binary, isn't it? I mean, it's something as, as complicated that this can't be, be just one thing or the other. It's not no. like it's a cu- computer code. With, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I completely agree, Chris. I mean, I think um, I think our, our, our politicians, um, you know, in the campaigning for. You know, prior to the referendum, um, you know, did us all a little bit of a disservice in trying to boil it down and to dumb it down. And uh, you know, I think that's in some respects why a number of people were, um, you know, surprised by the um, by the vote and uh, and by the results. So, you know, the reality was always going to be, um, you know, somewhere in the middle between the um, the hard and the soft um, uh, Brexit, and perhaps it needs to be as you've quite rightly said, um, a degree of flexibility in there going forward. Yeah. So, well, I think we've, uh, well, we got to the point where it's monitor review and yes. repeat. So there are, I believe there is a, there are a number of purposes that are attached to, to that process. Can we just run through those quickly before, yep. before we're done? Absolutely. So, um, four pro, uh, four purposes, um, to the, uh, monitor and review cycle. Um, first purpose, ensure the mitigation project, uh, process is running smoothly. So making sure that your projects that are running uh, to mitigate your exposure uh, to certain risks are, uh, are running, they're tracking on time, they're achieving their, um, their, um, you know, their intended goals and making sure that uh, if anything has changed in the meantime that that hasn't actually impacted the business case or the reason for um, running the project in the first place. Yep. If it has, you need to take the appropriate action, either changing the project or potentially switching the project off. But my recommendation would be that you're not starting all of these projects, you know, on the on the first on the first whim. But mm. um, some you may need to. Yeah. Second purpose: um, ensure conditions are monitored. So as uh, conditions change um, and decisions are made, so if the government were to come out and say, um, you know, the rights of um, European citizens who are already in the UK are going to be guaranteed. Um, you know, does that mean that uh, any um, European citizens who are working for your organisation now, um, you can uh, you know, rest easy, they're more likely to be um, staying with the organisation, or does it mean you still need to be uh, re- you know, thinking about recruiting uh, replacements? So monitoring those kind of changes as those decisions are made. Mm. So understanding what the, the consequences are, um, on decisions made against the risks okay. you've identified. Yep. Um, uh, purpose three: ensure that uh, changes are um, uh, are monitored, ensuring that um, as your organisation changes and as the environment changes around, um, you know, around these uh, uh, around the negotiations things, yeah. in, ensuring that they're uh, they're monitored and understood throughout the yes, business. Okay. And uh, finally. Um, uh, continuing the process of identifying new opportunities. Don't do that as a one and done activity. It's an ongoing process. You know, encourage and empower your staff to identify those opportunities and ensure that uh, you're capturing and logging those as well. Okay. All right, Darren. So, uh, so I think that's nearly finished off most of it. So, but what are you, what are your next steps? If you're a business or organisation, what are your what, what are their next steps? Well. Um, um, 
run through the framework. Um, you know, the, the purpose of this podcast and the blog that accompanies it is very much just to provide a framework and start, um, you know, helping people think through uh, the complexities uh, that Brexit uh, proposes. Um, you know, fifth step as an organisation, we're helping um, uh, companies uh, deal with this, helping CIOs, uh, helping the C-suites actually um, run through uh, frameworks that are you know, very, very similar to this. Um, uh, if organisations need help with that, obviously we're here um, to, uh, to help. But equally, if the best that an organisation can do is download our, um, our podcasts, take a look at the blog and uh, get a copy of the spreadsheet, then we're really happy to, uh, to help. If, okay. if that's the best that they can do, then, um, then start moving on with those. Well, um, as you know, as, as the regular listeners will know, um, just, um, that, well, they, or even better if they could share these podcasts with uh, their friends and colleagues uh, but to subscribe just need, you just need to go to www.fifthstep.com forward slash podcasts or you can visit the Fifth Step website which is www.fifthstep.com Darren, I mean, what you, any other any other digital streams that you can think of that we're yeah, pushing out at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, reach out to us on Twitter as well. Uh, we're at Fifth Step on uh, Twitter and, you know, on um, this uh, this blog will also be posted out uh, on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on um, LinkedIn if you do if you search for Darren Ray. I'm uh, Darren Ray, the um, CEO of Fifth Step, not the uh, magician in the Midwest. Oh. Um, are you uh, sure? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Moonlighting a little bit. We look very similar. So uh, who well, knows? If you're a magician, we wouldn't know, wouldn't we? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, uh, thanks, Darren. That's uh, good to know about your, your magical skills. <laughs> and, and there's ever been a very useful uh, introduction to a very complicated subject. So uh, thanks for that. And look forward to speaking to our listeners next time. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.